Welcome to episode 85 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Gwendolyn Jules. She served in the U.S. Army from November of 1990 to December of 2012. In this episode, we talk about her joining the Army Reserves while in high school because she needed money for school clothes, the reality of what the military was about, and making the transition from reserves to active duty going overseas and working on her degree, getting to the rank of E6, and then deciding that she wanted to become an officer, the challenge of getting through officer candidate school, and then we also covered her deployment to Iraq and Afghanistan, and we ended with how she met her husband and becoming a mom after transitioning out of the military. So it's a lot, but I'm really excited to dive in, so let's get started. Listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm Amanda Huffman. I'm an Air Force veteran, author of Women of the Military, and a collaborative author of Brave Women, Strong Faith. I am also a military spouse and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast as a place to share stories of military women, past and present, with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Amanda. I'm happy to be here. So let's dive in with why did you decide to join the military? Honestly, I joined the military because I needed money for school clothes. (laughs) And I know that's hard for some people to believe, but when I was um, between my 10th and 11th grade year in high school, they had a summer hire program for high school students. And then we found out the next year they weren't going to have the summer hire program. And I am one of 14 children. So as you can imagine, there wasn't very much money to go around. So I grew up rather poor. And so working the summer job gave me an opportunity to make some money and then buy some school clothes for myself. But when we learned that they weren't going to be doing the summer hire program the next year, I had a female cousin who had went into the army and I had already had two male cousins who went into the army, but it didn't register with me until I saw my female cousin do it. And so one day I was just riding through town and I remember I was near the main bridge in our hometown and I was like, if my cousin Cynthia can do it, then so can I. And I didn't ask my father. I didn't ask my mother. I didn't ask anyone. I just ended up at the recruiter station in Montgomery, Alabama and told them I wanted to join the military. So between my 11th and 12th grade year in high school, I went to basic training. Wow. Going to be a senior when I got back because I went between my 11th grade year, I had finished my junior year and then I went that summer and then I came back home to go to finish my high school year. I mean, my um, senior year of high school. And what time frame was it when you went to the recruiter's office? I ended up in something that they called delayed entry. So I know by March of my junior year, March before that summer that I went to basic training, my parents had to sign the paperwork. I was in delayed entry programs. I didn't have to go to any Army Reserve like trainings on the weekends. I was just in what they call delayed entry. So I was officially in. And then once I went to basic training, then I was officially a part of the Army Reserves. And I spent my first 20 months in the Army as a member of the Army Reserves. And so your senior year of high school, after you got back from basic, you were drilling on the weekends while you were in high school? Yep, I sure was. Yep. Oddly enough, I think you're the fourth person I've talked to who went to basic training 
who did our National Guard or reserves and went to basic training in the summer. And I was like, I didn't even know that was possible. Right. <laughs> I knew all these women who've done that. Right. And neither did I. But, you know, like I said, my reason for joining was because I wanted money to buy school clothes because my parents just did not have the money to be buying 14 kids school clothes. And by that time, I mean, I'm 17, so I'm sort of, you know, on my own for that stuff. They reserved their money for the younger children. So I was trying to figure out a way to make it happen. And then, like I said, my female cousin had joined the army. So I was like, okay, I could join the army too. And that's how I ended up going to basic training between my junior and senior year of high school. So what were you, did you feel prepared to go to basic training the summer of like being so young? Yes and no, because I felt prepared in the fact that my father is a long distance or was a long distance truck driver. He drove trucks for over 40 years, so he wasn't home all week. People come home maybe on Wednesdays, but mostly he came home on Friday through Sunday, right? So my siblings and I were primarily reared by my mother. And as you can imagine, it takes something to rear 14 children. (laughs) So there was a lot of, you know, strictness, do it this way, you know, There was a lot of strictness, so you had to follow the rules. There was a lot of do it this particular way. So my mother, in raising me that way, and then me being, I'm the fourth oldest child, so being the fourth oldest child, I had to help with my younger brothers and sisters. And so when she taught you how to bathe a baby, you bathe the baby step by step. Those sorts of things helped me when I went into the military. So when I got into the military and there was a drill sergeant, I was already used to being yelled at for not doing, you know, things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. So I really wasn't intimidated by that as much. I was used to cleaning. I knew how to clean. I knew how to be thorough when I cleaned. So you know how in basic training, you have to clean the bathrooms and that sort of thing. I was used to following orders. So that helped me. I was used to making up my bed and cleaning up my space and taking care of my area. So all of that sort of thing helped me in basic training. I guess the thing that I wasn't used to being so young was, I guess, like, think like the amount of dealing with other people. Now, I had 13 brothers and sisters, but we all did what my mother said, <laughs> right? But when you're in basic training and you have all these people who weren't necessarily raised the way that you were and they don't do what the dress art says, and then you have this mass punishment thing going on, that sort of thing I wasn't prepared for. And it just, I guess it left a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't like the whole mass punishment, you know, piece of it. That makes sense. That makes makes sense that especially because if all your brothers and sisters like did what your mom said because they knew they had to and then you were all getting punished because someone wasn't doing something that they were supposed to or they did something yeah that makes a lot of sense right we you mean you either did it or you suffered the consequences but when one person did something you know my mother would get onto that one person but then in basic training they like punish everyone everybody drop and give me 20 that sort of thing and I was like what is this I'm not used to this I don't like this So, yeah, that was a little hard to get used to you know, as a young person. When you finished basic training, you went back and you did the, did you do reserves or guard? I did army reserves. I was never okay. in the guard. So you did the reserves for, you said two years? Um, 20 months. So right at two okay. years. Mm-hmm. So you went almost two years in the reserves and then you switched to active duty. Yes, I did. And the reason I switched to active duty was because... The Army Reserves were like so boring. (laughs) So I would go there doing those drills on the weekends and I would just sit in this office. I was a 71 Lima. I was an enlisted person at the time. I was what they call a 71 Lima, which is administrative specialist. So I did typing and filing and those sorts of things. But, you know, uh, Army Reserve units have people 
for that stuff, right? And so when I went there, I was just sitting in the office on a sofa looking at the NCO or whoever was in charge. And so I was so bored. And then plus I had a job at McDonald's. So I was thinking to myself like, hmm, I'm sitting here wasting my entire day. I could be at McDonald's, you know, working and then earning more money than I'm going to earn for this drill weekend. And I just became really bored. And so I started skipping some of them. And then so they wrote me a letter and they was like, hey, you don't have the right to skip your your, your drills. So either you're going to come to your drill or you can go on active duty or some other option that they gave me. So I was like, you know what? This is kind of boring. And then plus I had worked like between going to basic training, doing my armor um, drills. Now I'm out of high school. And so I'm trying to find my way. So I had went to several different jobs trying to make it because I wanted to go to college. I wanted my own place. I wanted to move out of my parents' home and I wanted a car. I didn't have money for any of this stuff. So they sent me the letter and it said that I had an option of going to active duty. So I was like, hmm. And so next thing you know, I found myself back at the recruiter's office saying, hey, I want to go on active duty. I was, you know, a perfect candidate. There wasn't anything stopping me from doing it. So I ended up on, and then plus I was interviewing for a um, job at my local power company. And the day I was supposed to go back for the third interview at the power company, I was on a plane headed to Fort Carson, Colorado. (laughs) So I enjoyed active duty. And it was the best decision that I made. It really was. Yeah, so you kind of were trying to figure out your way. You were in the reserves, but you didn't like it very much. And then they were like, hey, you're, you need to do something else. And so they, they got you to go on active duty. That's- right. They told me I couldn't keep missing the drill, but I was so bored. And the thought of just, you know, I'm young. So the thought of just going and sitting on that sofa for a whole weekend, I was like, uh, I'm just not going to go. And then so I just didn't go. And then so they were like, hey, you know, you don't have the right to be missing these drills. But, you know, I'm young. I don't know anything about the military yet. So I didn't realize that. But. I was glad that I went on active duty. It was probably the best thing for me. <laughs> you were like, no one will notice. All I do is sit on a couch. Right? right? <laughs> That's what I thought. But, you know, they do this thing called accountability. And so they right. noticed <laughs> that I wasn't there. So you said you went to Colorado. Did you switch jobs when you went on active duty? Or was it just different because you were on active duty? No, it was just different because I was on active duty. I still stayed a 71 Lima. I was in E2, I think, when I left. Or maybe, I think I I got promoted to POC on active duty. So as soon as I got to like the new unit, because I had those 20 months of time already, I was coming up on getting promoted to POC anyway, you know, within, I think it was 24 months maybe. So as soon as I got on active duty, I probably got promoted to E3 and then eventually to E4. Okay. So what was your career like? What did you do when you were on active duty? As a 71 Lima on active duty, the first job I had when I got to Colorado, Fort Carson, was I was the colonel's secretary. So there was an S1 office where they do all of the admin stuff. But then someone gets plucked out of the S1 office to go up to the, you know, the command area and work as the colonel's secretary. Essentially, you're the the secretary for the battalion commander, which is a lieutenant colonel, the adjutant, which is his, I guess, really his secretary. But, you know, then she has to have a person. And so that was me. And then there's a sergeant major there. So I essentially did any administrative tasks that any of them needed. I did a lot of doing NCOERs that the colonel had to sign or doing things like OERs that he had to sign, um, awards, printing, typing, those sorts of things. So I did a lot of that sort of stuff. And then there was, I had a guy who sat next to me and he was like the driver for the command team. So he drove the colonel or the sergeant major, the adjutant, wherever they needed to go. And then you said that you, well, you retired as an officer. So let's talk a little bit about how you made the switch from being enlisted to being an officer. 
So let me see. I had eight years in the Army by now. I had I went to Colorado and then I did like what they used to call a it was some type of voluntary change what you can do. So I left Colorado and I volunteered volunteered to go to Fort Bragg. So I went to Fort Bragg, but that wasn't like an Army's PCS move. So it's my own self volunteering for that. So I only stayed there like nine months and then the regular army move came and they moved me overseas to Germany. So I went to Germany for three years and then I went to Italy for two years. I came back to the United States and I went to um, Virginia and I ran back into a girlfriend of mine from Germany. And so her husband was participating in something. He was a dental hygienist. And then so he had gotten selected to officer candidate school at Fort Benning in Georgia. And so she was like, and my last name used to be McCall. So she was like, hey, McCall, you'd be great for, you know, officer candidate school. You meet all of the criteria because, you know, she knew me when we were in Germany. And so she told me about the program. Her husband had like paperwork to show like, this is what you need to know in order to prepare and go to OCS. And I met a lot of the criteria already. I had the college education already. I was, um, I had the PT scores that, you know, qualified you to get in already. I had the military education that I needed up, you know, I was current up until that point. And so when she mentioned off the candidate school and they told me about the program and I was like, hmm, that sounds good. So first thing I did was I did the math and I was like, okay, I'm an E6. <laughs> and, you know, when you get promoted from E6 to E7, that's a board selection. So I was like, you know, as a 71 Lima, it was taking people in my field seven, eight years to, you know, go from E6 to E7. So I was like, instead of waiting all of that time, I can apply to get into officer candidate school. There's a promotion to, you know, immediate promotion to second lieutenant once you finish. Then 18 months later, you get promoted to first lieutenant. And then another 18 months after that, you get promoted to captain. I was like, that's easy math. So, you know, instead of sitting around and waiting, you know, for a board to select me for promotion, I put my paperwork in and I went to the local board to get selected for OCS. And then once I went to the local board, in Virginia, they sent all of my paperwork up to um, the Human Resources Department for the Army, and then they selected me for the program. Got selected in October of 98. I was so happy. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, I want to tell you about a workbook that I just finished reading and has really helped me with my business. If you're someone who's starting a business or has thought about starting a business, you need to check out the Ministry to Business Guide on sale this summer. If you've thought, I want to monetize my writing, but I don't know how to do it. Or if you have started speaking and you keep getting paid with Starbucks gift cards or warm hugs, this guide will help you start making an income building your audience, and learning the tips and tricks of how to grow your audience. If this sounds like something that you need to help your business, check out my affiliate link in the show notes and get your guide today. Now let's get back to the show. And now let's get back to the show. I think one of the things that we should talk about is how you got your degree because you were in Germany, yes. you were in Italy. Like you could have easily like been like, I don't need my degree. I'm just going to like travel. And <laughs> But how did you find time to get your degree while being on active duty and, and make it all work? It, it was tough because the thing about it was I was a 7-1 leave administrative specialist, right? So you would think I would just be doing admin stuff inside of an office. But in the Army, they have this thing called an identifier. So I was a 71 Lima, right? That was my primary job. But then I had an identifier of a Fox 5, Foxtrot, you know, F5, which was a postal worker of all things, right? So I was a 71 Lima, Fox 5. So I was a postal worker. And even though I hadn't had the official postal worker training, it doesn't take much to show 
you know, show someone how to do, you know, pitch mail on, you know, via OJT. So anyway, I get to Germany and that is the job that they gave me. I had to be a postal worker. So for five years, three years in Germany and then another two years in Italy, I was a postal worker. So I was working on the night shift. And because I was working on the night shift, I was able to go to some college classes, you know, during the day. It was incumbent upon me to get up, even though I may have been tired, and go to the classes. But there was something in me that just really wanted that college degree because when I was 16, that was my goal. My parents couldn't pay for it. So the Army was a way that I could, you know, get that. And then plus, when we were in Germany, the Army was offering what they call tuition assistance. So if you went to classes, you didn't have to pay the whole fee. And then being over overseas, I think sometimes it may have been free. And then sometimes you had to pay 50% of the classes, but the University of Maryland, which is known for working with, you know, the military, they were overseas in Germany. They were overseas in Italy. So I was able to take classes with the University of Maryland. I was able to take classes with a school called City Colleges of Chicago. And I was just working on trying to get my degree. Now, granted, I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> so I didn't know how to put together. And I think a, a counselor had put together one of those little um, transcript, like plans for me in order to get the degree. But the thing about it is that you don't necessarily have the time to go full force and go full steam ahead and work it like you're supposed to. So I had to take the classes whenever I could around my military schedule. And so that is what I did. So by the time I applied to OCS, you know, six years later or whatever it was, I had I think it was maybe 60 hours that you needed, but I had like 90 college credits by that time. And I was taking classes on the weekends because every other weekend I had my entire weekend off. And so I was taking classes on the weekends. I was taking what they called, I can't remember what they were, but they were like one credit courses that you could take on a Saturday and a Sunday, and then you would get one college credit for it. Uh, so I was taking all those things, just trying to fill in those elective spots. Sometimes I asked my supervisors if I could have time off because I really wanted to get that degree. And so if they allowed me to, go to class, you know, from whatever time in the evening. And then I would just get to work late because we didn't start working until six in the evening. So I was just from six to six. So I would just get to, you know, work maybe at eight instead of getting there at six and I could take the evening class. Yeah. So it was a lot of hard work and yeah. lots of like, I have an hour here, so I'm going to make it work. And Yes. And then also I had to pay my own money for it. Now my peers were, I mean, my peers were eating pizza and, you know, drinking whatever, buying up the class six and having a good old time. But I was spending my discretionary income on taking college courses because it was just something that I really wanted. Yeah, I think that shows the dedication of like what you have to do, especially like when you're on active duty yes. and you're already working a full time and like you were working 12. So you were working lots and lots of hours. Yeah. And, yeah. So that was why I wanted to so let go back to that just because I knew that there was a story and like how much work you had to put to make oh, yeah. that happen. Yeah, you really have to be, you really have to want it and you really have to have some dedication. And this is the thing, like I took statistics trying to pass it three different times, right? <laughs> because you have to pass statistics 101 or 100 or whatever it is in order to get into the 102. And right. I just, I wasn't really good at it. So I took it like three or four different times. And then I remember taking it one time and so I did I even went on a deployment during this time. I spent six months in Hungary in support of the um, Bosnia-Herzegovina incident. And I took statistics over there. I even took college classes while I was deployed because the army makes it available to you. And instead of, like you said, taking my free 
free time and doing whatever, I took my free time and I went to college classes because I was trying to get that degree. And then because I had all of those hours, it proved beneficial in the end when I was ready to switch over and become an officer, I was qualified, you know, to do so. Whereas right. someone else who hadn't taken college courses may not have, you know, been in a position to go. Yeah. And I think it's really important you talked about like you had to wait for the next promotion from E6 to E7. And if you didn't have a degree, you would have kind of been stuck because you would have had to wait for the next promotion or start going to school then, which was going to take you six, seven years anyway. Exactly. It would have taken even more time. So things lined up to where I was in a good position to um, make the switch from being enlisted to becoming an officer and, and, you know, take advantage of the OCS program. Because when I first came in the army, I didn't know how you became an officer. I had no idea about that. I just did not know. I remember when I was in Fort Carson one time, I was just walking along the sidewalk, coming from the barracks, headed back to work. And there was an officer, you know, he had the hat on with the eagle on it. And I didn't even know that was an officer I had, so I didn't salute. And then he stopped me and, you know, schooled me on what I was supposed to be doing. And I was like, oh, sorry, you know, thank you. And I saluted and went about my business. So that just shows you I had no idea. <laughs> but, you know, you live and you learn. And I learned a lot being in the military, so it was good for me. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I got lucky because I was about to enlist into the National Guard. Uh-huh. And then my friend took me out to lunch and he said, let me tell you about this officer program. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option. I thought you had to enlist. And like, I didn't know. And right. so when he told me about that and then I could keep going to school and I could try out ROTC, I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a better option because I was going to enlist and I was going to go to boot camp and then go to tech school and then come back and go back to school. And right. I just it felt like a big disruption in my life. And so, yeah, I think you just don't know what you don't know. And then it's true. You just don't know what you don't know, because even when I first got to Colorado as a 19 year old, I wasn't offered an opportunity to go to West Point. You know what? I turned it down because I just didn't know. Wow. Right. Wow. (laughs) Now, I still ended up on the officer side of things. But look at the look at the route that I took. I did not know. I did not know. And so when you don't know, and then, you know, like even my company commander had to be the one to like write a letter saying, hey, this person is not going to go. I couldn't just say it. So that tells me it has some level of significance, but I didn't know at the time. And then I didn't have anyone who, you know, right, who mentored me or who could give me the right advice about that. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I made the podcast was because I know a lot of young women today are still looking for answers and they don't have anyone to turn to. So hopefully through listening to our stories and people should know they can always reach out to me if they have direct questions because I can help connect them with someone if I don't know the answer. Right. Yeah. And that's part of it, like asking questions. But like you said, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't even know what questions to ask. Right. So yeah, your podcast is an awesome resource for anyone who is considering joining the military and they can hear all of our stories and, you know, get some information that, you know, we know we didn't have when we first started out. Yeah. You became an officer and... What was OCS like compared to boot camp? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) OCS was, without a doubt, the worst experience I ever had in the Army. And I'm not joking. I have never been treated so bad. Never. Basic training wasn't that bad. The training I got from my mother was not that bad. (laughs) OCS was the worst time. I mean, it really was. And it was because the people there, I feel, did not want to see me become an officer. Now, and I say that because 
the stuff that happened to me didn't happen to everybody. Like I felt like I was targeted specifically to be taken out of the program and to not make it. And it was the worst time that I ever had in the army. I've never been treated so bad. And then I wasn't really prepared for that because I hadn't had, you know, that rough of a go at it up until then. And I really wasn't prepared for people to be targeting me specifically like that. And so it was like the worst time. And it probably started maybe a week or two after I was there. And it went on for OCS is 14 weeks. So let's just say it started in week number two. And it went on for like 10 weeks of them trying to put me out of the program over and over and over again for, I mean, I don't know. You don't, I don't know if you know anything about OCS, but there, there is an element of them trying to toughen you up and break you so they can make you into an officer. And I I'll thank them for that because that's exactly what they did. Mental toughness was what I gained out of that uh, because it got to a point to where I was just like, I'm not sure what these people are trying to do here, but I have made it too far that I'm not turning around. I'm not going back as an enlisted person. I came here to become an officer and that is what is going to happen. So I don't know if that was their goal or not, but that is the mentality that I took on. And that is what I made happen because I felt like initially there was an incident where some girl said something, you know, while we were in the female bathroom. And of course, you know, men can't come into the female bathroom. And so she said whatever she said. And then she said that I said it. And for some reason they believed her, you know? And so I had, to, and there was a cadre member who used to be an interrogator for the MP department. And so, you know, an interrogator has a job to interrogate. So they brought him over and he tried to interrogate me <laughs> and get me to admit whatever the words were that this girl said I said. And of course they were saying, oh, you can't say that about the cadre. So it was a means to kick me out of the program. And then I kept telling them it wasn't me. I didn't say that, you know? And then, you know, from just the way that I was raised in my eight years that I already had in the army, I was disciplined enough not to say anything so crazy. And so they believed her over me and then they fought and they fought and they fought and they made me write down my statement. They had the guy to interrogate me. They made me go for a board of my peers, all of these things to try to get me out of the program. But as you can see, I made it. And I think that having that experience just gave me the mental toughness that I needed in order to become an officer. Yeah, that's a really hard story because it sounds like she didn't want you to become an officer. Maybe like she had something or do you think she was just playing games and trying to get the pressure off her or? I think, yeah, the bottom line is she was trying to save her own behind. And so she just said, you know, she said it, you know, she just threw her hand up and just pointed at the first person she saw and they for some reason wanted to believe her. And so they harassed me for 10 weeks straight about this particular thing. And I went to OCS in October. So I was there during the holiday season. So I didn't graduate until February. So we went home for Thanksgiving. We went home for Christmas. And this entire time I'm being harassed and this stuff is hanging over my head. So I'm not even really able to enjoy myself for Thanksgiving or Christmas because I had this issue or these issues hanging over my head the entire time. Yeah, that would make it someone that I talked to in a previous episode, and I'll put a link to the show notes to her story. She said that OCS was way harder than in basic training, but she didn't have any of that. But she just said like she felt like the people who were the cadre wanted to like make sure you were like extra tough before you got through the officer training. But to add that mental that would make it even harder. It was, it was very hard. The mental pressure and the mental stress was really distressing to me, as you can imagine. I just, I couldn't figure out like, why were they continuing to mess with me over and over and over again? I couldn't even, I mean, I did my leadership positions, but 
with that stuff still hanging over my head. And then I did my, so that was the first thing. The girl said something. And then the second thing was, I am an African-American woman. So I cover my hair at night when I go to sleep in order to, you know, maintain it. So I had this thing that I used to cover my hair with. And then, you know, I'm just thinking that's what I do every night. So when they came in and do their inspections in the middle of the night, they said that I was, um, because I had that thing on my hair, I had an unfair advantage and that the thing was contraband. <laughs> so they harassed me about that. They was like, oh my God, she deserves to be put out of here because she didn't ask permission to bring that thing in here. It's contraband and she has an unfair advantage, you know, that I don't have to get up and, you know, do extra stuff to my hair in the morning that I can just get up and go because I had this thing tying my hair down. So that was another whole issue. And and then they said that I was in a leadership position and they asked me, hey, did everybody read the op order, let's just say. And I was like, yes, everybody, all of the team read the op order, but I hadn't read the op order or whatever it was that we were supposed to be doing. And it was like, oh my God, she lied. She said everyone had done it, but she hadn't done it. And I was like, you know, <laughs> really? What are you people doing? So they had me to go before a board of my peers, all of these things. And of course, you know, my peers knew me by then. And so they elected to leave me there right? Not to put me out. And then that made them even more angry. It, it was just, <laughs> that was the worst time I ever had in the military. It really was. I had never had someone harass me so much while I was in the army. Never. But you made it through it. Yes. So that's, <laughs> that's a testament to your character that your peers kept you in. Right. And so, I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, it's not, but at least you know, in the end, it all worked out. Yeah. I mean, because you can imagine an environment like that was really tough. You all bond and you bond quickly, you know, and I had a roommate. My roommate was running around like, she didn't do it. You know, just <laughs> she's like, leave her alone and all of this stuff. And so the whole, you know, like my whole squad or platoon was with me. So that helped. So let's talk a little bit about your time as an officer. How long were you on active duty as an officer? 13 years. I got promoted in 1999, right? And then, yeah, 2012 is when I retired. So 13 years as an officer. So that's when September 11th happened. Yeah. Did that really change the way the Army was? Like, do you feel like you were in the Army and then September 11th happened and like kind of changed into a new Army? Or were you guys always doing the same thing and then it just you added a war to it? I feel like the Army stayed the same. I just felt like we ramped up our security measures because I was in Texas at the time. I was stationed at Fort Hood in Killeen, Texas. And Fort Hood is a huge post. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but it's one of the largest. But, you know, what can you expect in the state of Texas? <laughs> so there was a lot of gates that you could use to get into the post. And then when September 11th happened, they made all of us come into one, you know, the main central gate. And I'm talking about it was hours. People were just late to work because we weren't prepared for that. And there was no way you could show everybody's ID. And then it was checking vehicles and had dogs and all of this stuff. And so it just changed the whole. And so now you have to leave home an hour earlier and these sorts of things. It changed like the PT. I think we stopped doing PT for a little while because no one could get in at 630 and be ready by 630. It was just too many people and too many cars. So I think it changed the army a lot in that way, like the security and the measures that we took were really enhanced now. And I hadn't seen that before. But the like training and the exercises and all that stuff was already going on. And oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I was. Uh, we were already doing that. They had this thing at Fort Hood, and I was a part of. I guess they call it a sustainment brigade now, but back then it was called an ESC, which is like a high echelon unit. And so we did this annual exercise, and I think we had already done that exercise before 9/11 happened. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we had. We had already done that before 9/11 happened. Maybe I'd done it twice because it was something that they did annually, and it was a huge exercise where we left the post, we went into you know on the highways in Killeen, Texas, and through different places, and you went to a train area. But I believe that we were always up on our training because we did these annual exercises in order to prepare for the annual exercises. You know, you do smaller ones leading up to it. So I felt like I was trained already when that stuff happened. And did you deploy after September 11th? Yes, but I did not deploy until September 11th happened 2001. I deployed 2005. So the whole year of um, 2005, I was spent in Iraq. And then in 2009, I was in Afghanistan. Okay. Were you still in the personnelist career field? No. When I switched over to become an officer, I think personnel was one of the main ones that I said I wanted, but it's always about the needs of the army. So <laughs> they gave me what they needed, which was I was an ordinance officer, which I was, there's several different parts to ordinance, but I was the maintenance piece. So I was a maintenance officer that helped maintain fleets of vehicles like Humvees or LMTVs, that sort of thing. And then eventually the maintenance officer, the supply officer, and the transportation officer, we all formed one branch called logisticians. So if, if you look back now, it'll just say that I was a logistician. Were you doing like vehicle maintenance in Iraq? When I went to Iraq, I was a company commander. So I wasn't, I was in a maintenance, maintenance unit, but I was a company commander. And so I um, didn't, you know, deal with any vehicle maintenance. I was just the commander for the headquarters and headquarters company. So that was really different. <laughs> Yeah. And what was your experience like being in Iraq for a year? It was tough. And I think it was another one of those experiences, not knowing what you don't know, because some of my, a couple of my peers, a couple of my fellow company commanders had already been the very first time when they initially went in 2003. And then we were all going back in 2005. And so they knew what to expect. I didn't quite know what to expect. So I just leaned on the training that I had gotten up until that point and tried to do my best to be as prepared as I could. But I don't know if you can really prepare to go to a combat zone. And then we were in a place called Balad. Iraq, and that's the logistics hub, or it was the logistics hub. And so that particular place had a little nickname and called Mortaritaville. And so it was, um, I mean, we walked around in all of our full gear. If you were outside of your working area, you had to have your Kevlon, you had to have your vest on, you had to have your weapon, all of this stuff the entire time. Now, there was like one small period where they tried to relax the dress code and let us walk around in our, you know, BDU caps. But people were always, you know, there was always that that siren was always going off in that area so we just pretty much stayed in our gear as a you know protective measure so and it was hot and it was tiring there was a lot of work to be done and then i don't know but like when you're in a combat zone it's like family members when you're all made to stay there for so long together people start picking at one another and you know all sorts of little in-house things were happening and then of course you know we had some tragic incidents but yeah it was it was um tough but it taught me that 
It taught me that life is going to happen and you can either jump into life and, and get it done or you can just sit on the sidelines. But guess what? Life is going to continue to happen no matter what you do. So either you can do what it is that you want to do with your life and be productive or you can just hang out on the sidelines waiting to jump in. But you just got to be hanging out on the sidelines waiting because life is just going to continue to happen with or without you. And that's what my year in Iraq taught me. So I had a similar lesson from my nine months in Afghanistan. My commander told me before I left, when you come to a great chasm in life, jump, it's not that far. And that was kind of like my motto for the deployment and kind of the motto for my life from then on out. Because like you said, like, it's going to happen. Right. You can either sit or you can jump. And like the fear that, you know, the military doesn't give you an option. So jumping really wasn't that hard because right. like they were like, get in the truck. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have to follow your orders. So right. you just have to go ahead and, and do it. And then also, you know, not just for the military, but it taught me that about my personal life too. There's something that I wanted in my personal life. I just need to go ahead and go after it because guess what? Time is still ticking. And while you're waiting, Gwen, and wasting it, it's still ticking. It ain't, you're not going to get yesterday back. You're just not. Right. And you can do all kinds of research and figure out all the stuff or you can just do it and right. learn on the way. Right. <laughs> I had so much OJT in the Army, right? Just on the job training for everything. And and it's, you know, that's a good way to do it sometimes. Just, you know, go ahead and jump in there and get it done. It's just like even with me getting online and having an online business, I heard I saw this YouTube video one time. I can't remember the guy's name, but you know what he said? He said, you got to be in business in order to be in business, <laughs> you know? You can't just keep researching it at nauseum. Think I may do this. You just got to put yourself in the business in order to be in business and you'll figure it out along the way. That's true. That's really good advice. I think a lot of people get paralyzed into the like take action. And that is like, I think deploying really kind of makes it so that you're like, well, I'm just going to do it. You have no <laughs> you choice. Know? You have no choice. When someone presents you with, with an issue, you know, either you're going to solve it or you're just going to sit there and look at them. And you know, in a military, that's not an option to look at people. You have to figure out a solution. Right. Yeah. Especially like when lives are on the line yes. and like, I mean, you know what's really important. Right. That's true. Yeah. Did you feel like deploying to Afghanistan was kind of similar or did you feel more prepared because you had already gone to Iraq? I definitely felt way more prepared. Not only had I been to Iraq, but I had been back and forth to Kuwait, I don't know, maybe three times by that point. I'd been to Iraq and then back and forth to Kuwait. And I spent, when I went to Iraq, I was with the 3rd Infantry Division out of Fort Stewart. And the thing they say about the 3rd Infantry Division is that's where the rubber meets the road and they have never lied. That place, if you don't get prepared, to be an officer or get promoted to the next rank or do what you need to do at 3rd Infantry Division, no place will prepare you. I feel like I learned the bulk of what I know as an officer at 3rd Infantry Division. And I went from being a captain with two years in all the way up to being a captain promotable while I was there. So I really felt like by the time I got ready to get promoted to major, I was ready to get promoted to major because I had learned so much and I had done so much. And so I think it just, I was way more prepared when I went to Afghanistan than I was when I went to Iraq. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your transition, unless there's something that I missed from your military experience. No, that was great talking about that. 
<laughs> brought back a lot of memories. So you transitioned out in 2012. Yes. And what was that transition like after being in for so long? 22 years, right? Yes. I was ready to go, actually. <laughs> and then I, I was in South Korea. When I went to South Korea, I knew I was going to transition out of the Army there because I had gotten promoted to major. And then when you get promoted to major, the next thing you try to do is get your military schooling out of the way. So I had asked to go to my next school, which was called ILE. And the Army said, no, the school's already full. You can't go. And so I tried to finagle my way into the school anyway by calling some people and doing this, that, or the other. But they just said, hey, there's no more room, right? <laughs> so you can't go. So I thought I was going to go to Kansas, but I didn't get a chance to go to Kansas. And so I said, I was going to retire anyway in three years. So I said, okay, well, I know I've been to Korea before. So I said, hey, I want to go to Korea. So they allowed me to go to Korea. And I knew that when I came back from Korea, I was going to be out of the military because I knew I could transition out over there. But when I got there, I met this gentleman <laughs> who is now my husband. So I married while I was in Korea. I was still preparing myself to get out and I still was going to, I was going to transition out the summer of 2013, but I got out in December of 2012 because I got married and my husband was still in. And so right before I got out of the military, I became pregnant. So when I left the military, I was maybe six months pregnant. And so four months later, I had a baby girl. So the transition out was, I was ready to go and I was prepared to go and went from being a soldier to being a mom so it was a good transition for me yeah that's cool that right at the end you went to Korea and you met your husband right and <laughs> you have your family and your next phase of life right and I hadn't planned any of that my goal when I went to Korea was to just get myself set up to transition out financially and everything else and I was just going to get out in three years I was going to stay in Korea for the whole three years and just get out but you know God has his own plan. And those are all of the things that transpired, which was not my plan at all. But those are the things that happened. And so when I transitioned out, I was married with a husband and get ready to have a baby. So I moved right into a whole new phase of life, which I was happy about. And is he still in the military or did no, he get out? He's out now. We spent, I got in in 2012 and he just got out in 2017. So we spent another five years in the military traveling around and then he got out in 2017. So now we, we've settled down in my home, well, not my hometown, but I'm from the state of Alabama and we settled in Huntsville, Alabama because Redstone Arsenal is here. So there's a military community here. And then my husband's from New Jersey. And so we just didn't want to go to the cold weather. So we settled here. That's cool. Yeah. That's Oh, I love that ending of your career that you met your husband right. and now you have your family. That's so cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. So let's talk about what you're doing today before we wrap it up with one more question. So what are you doing right now? I am currently, because my husband was in the military, I wanted to have the freedom of travel and flexibility. So immediately after I had my daughter, I got my MBA and then I started researching online how to have an online business. Business. And so now I have a podcast that I produce on a weekly basis called Manage Money, Build Wealth. And I am going to, you know, further the podcast and then further my online presence with, you know, uh, probably counseling services, personal finance counseling services um, and that sort of thing to women to help them with their personal finances. That's awesome. And the links to her website and social media are in the show notes so that you can find them and connect with Gwendolyn. And the last question I have is, what would you tell young ladies who are considering joining the military? 
if you want to do it, go for it, but just understand what you are getting yourself into. The military, joining the military so you can get a college degree is probably not the best idea. One of the things that I found out about the military, like we were talking about earlier, I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I initially joined, but what I found out years later about the mission of the army was to go to war, right? And to win at war. So the, mil the mission of the military isn't for you to get a college education. It isn't so you can pay for your standard of living. So you, you have to understand what it is that you're getting yourself into if you go into the military. And I just want to, I think that would be the biggest thing that I would tell people, know what the mission of the military is. And yes, you may do all those other things. You may get your standard of living taken care of. You may get a college degree. You may travel the world, but that's not the mission of the military. And you just need to know what you're getting yourself into if you want to join. Yeah, that's really true. The benefits are there, but that's not the primary reason why you're in the military. And right. the military mission does come first. Absolutely. And you'll find that out the hard way if you have to, but you'll figure that out eventually. <laughs> so just know that going in. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I've really loved getting a chance to talk to you and hear about your military experience. I I think that you brought up a lot of interesting perspectives of joining while you were in high school, working to get your degree while you were on active duty, and then transitioning to being an officer and deploying. So I'm really glad we got to cover all those topics and thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Amanda. I really have enjoyed doing this. One of the things that I, um, one of the ways that I wanted to give back was to talk about my military experience with young women who may be considering doing this or who just need some mentorship period about leadership and making it and how you can survive in whatever it is you're doing. So I appreciate your Forum, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and speak with you and your guests. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.